All right. Hi, everybody. We're back. It's RCFB Talk. After a 4th of July break, we're here. It's RCFB Talk 146. My name is Bob Akayeri. There is definitely stuff to talk about. Obviously, Northwestern has been dominating the news in the past week or so, but there's other news, too, with what's going on. We still have that ongoing kind of squabble between (laughs) San Diego State and the Mountain West. We have things going on in NIL. We have things going on in all aspects of college football. So I want to invite you to hit request, and we can talk about whatever topics you'd like on the Twitter app. Just hit the request button in the bottom left. Otherwise, We can just start talking about what's going on right now in college football. So a lot of things going on, as I mentioned at the top. Uh, I'll just kind of hit on a couple of brief topics before we get to the real meat of the news this week. But one of those kind of ongoing, and I see we have someone who wants to join in, so I'm going to go ahead and let you up, Ray, in a second right now. But one of those other topics that's been kind of going on, NIL, as we've been talking, all the sort of states coming up with their own rules. New York State signed their, and we're going back in the last week and a half, so I apologize here, but NIL rules in New York were signed in by the governor. That makes them one of the loosest states in terms of the laws permitting how student-athletes can be compensated and preventing the NCAA, at least saying they're trying to prevent the NCAA from enforcing any kind of rules against athletes in the NIL sphere in their state. Mizzou, which is probably the top... uh, Loosest law right now in the SEC country states, um, all 11 of those states, they finally passed their law. The governor signed it also in this past week. So now Mizzou has the best NIL laws for athletes in the SEC. And it's, as we're seeing, I mean, Texas signed their law also earlier, which is similar to Mizzou's law. And I keep calling it Mizzou's law because basically there's only one FBS program in the state. And as I've mentioned before many times, to give you a quick idea of why Missouri's law is so Um, favorable. It allows high school students who've signed with in-state schools in Missouri to sign NIL deals, which is unlike any other state in the country. And of course, the only FBS school that benefits is the Mizzou Tigers. Now, of course, you know, it could be Truman State sites to pump themselves up to an FBS program or something. And of course, Missouri State's fine school. And they've got uh, uh, Northwest Missouri State, the D2 power. But you know, all said and done, that's going to really benefit the Tigers. Okay, so, hey, Ray, what's going on? Sorry, I just kind of wanted to get that topic out of the way just because I know there's a lot more things that people will probably want to talk about today. What's going on? Oh, not much. How are Good. you tonight? So I want to talk about this Northwestern situation sure. and the sticky situation that uh, the coaching staff that's remaining finds themselves in. Like a two pronged part of this question is one, how can the entire rest of the coaching staff remain on? Wouldn't they be partly liable to or have knowledge of what was going on? And two, aren't they in a weird spot of their head coach was fired, but now they have to continue on with this program? I, I, well, first of all, I agree with those are great points you brought up. I, I, the rest of that staff has just got to be in just a complete the, – the amount of anxiety that's got to be going through those guys, I can't even imagine. Because, yeah, they just – their boss just got fired. And I think to some extent perhaps they were spared because from what we know of the report – and, again, the fact that we don't have the whole report – and, you know, it goes into the fact that the – you know, the, the firm that Northwestern hired is technically working for Northwestern. And I'm not 
saying that to say that their work is anyway substandard. I'm sure they did. They're they're well known for what they do in investigating these kinds of allegations. But so it's up to Northwestern, however, whether or not they want to release it because it was made for Northwestern. Now, we're kind of guessing what it said. But from that executive summary, which is really, again, a brief two page, you know, I've read it. Many of you have read it. It's very short. It basically says some things happened, but we can't really be sure what coaches knew about it. Now, what sort of ter- that began, of course, when that that executive summary was released, they gave Coach Fitzgerald a two week suspension. Then over the weekend, things kind of got heated. Some people were wondering, well, what should he have known? Um, and I think it it was able to, without any specific coaches being named and thrown under the bus, I think it ended up just funneling up to the to head coach as a person who should have known and been responsible for the program. And I think to some extent that's why the rest of the staff has at least stayed there in this kind of awkward, you know, rump staff. I mean, they're what's left. They, they're kind of like, okay, great. We got to still keep the program running. Some of those guys, you know, they, they're going to be looking, they know that there's a strong chance they're possibly going to be looking for jobs at the end of the season. Um, but yeah, they're kind of in a, in a tight spot, like when any other coach gets fired. But because of the the problems of what were occurred, you know, the, uh, the allegations of sexual impropriety and hazing towards players on the football team, it makes a real awkward situation here. And hmm, now moving forward, it's, and it's so weird to kind of see this because, I mean, some of you may remember that Pat Fitzgerald got this job when Randy Walker died all those years ago in 2000, right before the season that was it 2006. I mean, and so they, they, that was a different kind of shocking transition where suddenly the head coach is no longer in the picture, but here we are. And once again, the head coach is no longer in the picture and, and they're kind of forced to, to, to move from there. So I think that's a, a, one of the primary reasons, but it's going to be a strange situation. But in a way, if I'm those, I imagine that coaching staff has just got to say like, all right, this happened. We got to keep the, get the team ready for the upcoming season. I'm going to say big 10 media day is going to be really awkward for Northwestern. We're sending a reporter to it. So we were kind of talking about it when all this is coming up. We're like, Man, and we thought Pac-12 media days were wild last year when suddenly, you know, that that started with USC and UCLA kind of, you know, hi, we're leaving in two years. But now this is going to be one of those awkward ones for, I think, whoever ends up as that interim head coach. And, and frankly, now we're opening up the whole question of who the next head coach is going to be. And there's lots of interesting um, proposals in that vein, both serious and semi-serious. But uh Ray, gosh, that was such a wild, that was such a, such a broad question. And I apologize for kind of meandering all over on that one. Yeah, I mean, it kind of feels like Baylor to an extent of 2015, right? Where they had the Pepper Hamilton report. And then you have this independent law firm come in and do their due diligence or whatever. I don't know whether it speaks to the quality of the report that, you know, at first it was recommended a two week suspension. And then, oh, wait, now more stuff's coming out? Or if that's the uh, the president of the university trying to CYA? You know, and I, I do wonder about that aspect there. Because, I mean, certainly the fact that they had... The, I mean, part of this lawsuit, we can get to that in, in a little bit, but the part of the lawsuit that it seems like Pat Fitzgerald is absolutely uh, going to be filing against his former employer, it has to go with just this sudden change. <clears throat> because... And I mean, I've, I've read some good analysis on it. My background is I'm an attorney, but I don't practice in this area. So I don't want to claim like, hey, I'm an expert and I, I practice this area all the time. But I've been reading some of the analysis by some other attorneys who I deeply respect. And 
you know, one of the, the crux of their what might end up erupting in the lawsuit between Fitzgerald and, and Northwestern would be the fact that they changed the punishment without any any new apparently any new evidence. I mean, if you're Fitzgerald's side, you're going to say he, there was a breach of basically you could argue there was a breach of a contract because there was a mutually agreed upon suspension is what they're saying. Like he agreed he would be suspended for two weeks. Um, and that was how they said they would take care of it. And the school had already said, you know, he'd been he'd done something wrong to have merited a suspension. Um, but then suddenly now they're saying, oh, no, never mind, you're fired. Uh, and that's not what he agreed to when he agreed to the suspension. Again, I'm saying that might be his legal argument. I'm not saying that's that's a winning argument. Um, but then he could say, like, you know, no additional information came up, uh, you know, after the report. This is all still based on the same report. They didn't have um, any procedural hearings in the university to uh, give him an opportunity to refute that. So um, he could argue that it was, you know, all based on the same document and that would not warrant his firing again that because they are firing him for cause and that's also what's pulling this all into it now the reverse of that is northwestern could simply say um that he that she acquired new insights from talking to you know various people in the university various faculty members because i know some of the faculty members that were filing their own separate uh request to demand that this uh, uh the school release that report that was created. And, you know, I've read a lot of speculation that will probably be leaked at one point or another if it or the school release it or it's going to come out in litigation. But we'll set that aside. But it could be that um, the Northwestern's argument is like, look, based on what we found out over the weekend, um, the president of the school decided to make that call on her own, which is within her which is within her right to do so. All I know is it's going to be really messy um, moving forward because and, and it makes sense because he's owed like, I mean, his salary um, through. I mean, if he was terminated in the right way, he, he would owe, gosh, was it five point seven five million dollars through 2030? So there's a significant amount of money at stake here. So I don't blame him for for trying to file a lawsuit here if he thinks he can settle for even a portion of that. That's that's a significant amount of money. Um but I think well, that's and also mm -hmm. uh, he has to file that lawsuit because I'm sure he still wants to coach again. And if there's any way you're going to clear your name to get a job moving forward, you have to do that. Oh, I agree. And I think part of the reason is, too, I'm curious. I think one of the other things that everyone wants to see the report, because it, once you see the full report, you also get a sense of, you know, well, how how ugly was this? You know, compare it to some of the other things. This is an Art Brile situation or is this like, oh, man, dude, why did you let this happen? You know, uh, it's hard to say. And, and you know, to be fair, as also as pointed out, you know, while, again, I'm not casting any uh, aspirations on the quality of the report by the firm that Northwestern hired, but it's not like they have the same power of a court. They can't just subpoena people to show up. They had to talk to people who wanted to talk to them. So it's not like they talked to every single player at Northwestern for the, the years that Pat Fitzgerald was there. They just were able to talk to those that did. Now, of course, from there, they said, you know, 11 different people corroborated at least some of what was being alleged. So it, it's more than just one angry player um, venting. So but at the same time, yeah, it's going to I think there is a lot of interest in finding out 
what was in that report and, and for most of the parties involved. Because again, if you're Pat Fitzgerald, I don't know if Northwestern's ever going to, for a lot of reasons, I'm not sure going back to Northwestern would be a wise idea or, but certainly I've seen, I've seen a coach get fired for a crazy re- I mean, there was that coach at D2 at um, Mankato State who got fired because, and it was really messed up. It was stupid what happened to him. He, he got fired because he had a photo of a child who was in the nude on his phone. But ah, let me clarify, it was his own kid and it was like in, it was bath time with his whole family. So then when that came out, you know, he fought and was able to get reinstituted as a coach. So that was like, that was one of the wildest situations I've ever seen. I mean, it was such a wild situation that he actually was at another D2 school as their head coach for like two months before a court said he could rejoin his old school. So now he, he's back there. So for Pat Fitzgerald, I'm not saying, I mean, again, this is a totally different situation, but I think it's in his interest, potentially, if it isn't as severe um, to get that report out as well, just so that he can, you know, put the facts out there for whatever future he has, because he's still a young guy. And, he, and uh, if depending on how what comes out of what his involvement was, he may want to coach again. You know, also, it makes me think how many other D1 coaches across the country are a little squirmish right now. You're not saying that the hazing goes on to that extent at Northwestern, but there's also there's always a certain amount of hazing that goes on with freshmen. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, that's one of those things, for better or worse. I'm not saying it's a great thing, but it's been around forever. I mean, even outside of athletics, when at the high school I went to, oh, freshman senior pal week, the things we did, I remember, you know, I'm in my 40s now. I described it to some students I was teaching in college a few years ago. And one of them said, like, that's, like, bullying and abusive. And I kind of stopped for a second. I went, you know what? Now that I'm describing what we were doing to each other, yeah, it was pretty messed up. I can't say it was good. So, and I agree with you. There's going to be folks all over the place who are like, wow, um, maybe I should look into what's being said. And and in a way, it is sort of a, a shot across the bow of a lot of programs that maybe might want to take a little bit uh, closer look. Because as any situation like this, it, it definitely um, it has an effect on programs everywhere. You know, I want to also let up Daniel. He's been super patient. Um, let's see here. Love to get all of you in. If you'd like to join the conversation, hit request. There's so much to talk about. Obviously, uh, Northwestern has been dominant in the news, but anything is welcome. Daniel, what's going on? It's going good, gentlemen. How's everyone doing? And ladies, excuse me. Great. <laughs> um, yeah, no, I mean, this whole Northwestern thing is actually really crazy. So, I mean, I, you know, I think it's kind of funny that um, it's actually not funny at all. I don't, I don't even know how to preface what I want to say, but. Um, no, no, I know what you mean. It's like, you know, it. it's like. You know, Pat, Pat Fitzgerald is going to come down. You know, I'm a big horse racing guy, you know, and I was just, you know, reading it like the book, like Seabiscuit, you realize like Seabiscuit's um, trainer, he kind of was one of the first people to be punished under what they call like an absolute rule law. Hey, if it's your horse, if it's your team and, you know, you can plead ignorance all you want, but guess what? It's your team and you're going to be going down, you know, regardless of what, you know, the stewards or, or not the stewards, but, you know, whoever was might've been the grooms or, you know, whoever might've been in the shed or doing anything to poison or, you know, contaminate your horse. It's actually, there's a relevant, you know, and like Bob Baffert's kind of like that right now. And, you know, I'm not trying to like throw people's heads off over horse racing right now, but it's like, it's like, Hey, you know, Pat Fitzgerald is the, the head of that um, operation. And guess what? If it was happening, it happened. And, you know, it, he met his fate, right? Yeah, no, I mean, and, and that's really what it was. It was the captain, the ship kind of took responsibility of it all. So, 
Yeah. And then here's um, another one, and it's if, I may, if I may. If I may. move forward from this. Pardon? Oh, if I may, I didn't mean to interrupt you, but I just wanted to say, you know, Pat, uh, Pat Fitzgerald's college coach was who? Does anybody remember that? Because I do. Oh, I feel so dumb. I had this off the top of my head. Go ahead. Gary Barnett. And didn't he um, didn't oh, he end up going down in disgrace? Yeah. Well, his his final years at Colorado correct, were Correct, correct. Nice. It, um, it had nothing to do with Northwestern, but let's just say Gary Barnett. Yeah. So, I mean, if Gary Barnett was out there bullying, you know, uh, female kickers and stuff like that, I wouldn't be shocked that Pat Fitzgerald was so macho to, you know, allow stuff like that to go in his locker room. You know, it's so wild, though, to realize how many, how few coaches Northwestern has had because it was Gary Barnett, and he left in 98 to go to Colorado. Then they hired Randy Walker, who died unexpectedly yep. while quite young. And then, you know, and then it's been Pat Fitzgerald since. So that is, that's a stretch from 1992 until now. I mean, that is just stunning, you know. Steve, it as, really is. As I pointed out, I mean, he was, was he, I believe he was the second longest tenured coach in the Big Ten after, uh, the uh, forever coach. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, you know, you're talking about uh, Kirk. <laughs> the twenty five, yeah. the, the twenty five, uh, the twenty five point mandate for this year. <laughs> hey, but um, let me also just go back. You know, I mean, I worked in college baseball, and you know, I mean, I understand. You know, and I mean, I, I've also played sports. You know, and I know hazing is kind of inherent. I know like where it is. You know how where it can be. You know, I, I, I understand times change, but you know, it's funny because like in baseball, you know, I never knew what those guys might've done in their apartments or in their houses and stuff like that. But we were absolutely aware of everything that happened in our clubhouse on the road, you know, and, and, you know, on the planes, you know, whatever, you know, might've happened. And I find it really difficult to believe for these guys to plead ignorance like they do. You know, if you want to talk about hazing, you know, what we found acceptable for hazing freshmen got to carry the balls on the planes and, you know, offer the baggage claim, the bats, stuff like that. You know what I mean? There's nothing demeaning about going into a yeah. shower car wash and stuff like that. I mean, that's absolutely sickening. Well, and, and you know, it's weird. It's funny you brought up baseball only because Northwestern's baseball coach. Correct. So, hey, uh, how about that? Right. <laughs> yeah. He's created an abusive environment and, uh, is what they're um, and and his wasn't again. His sounds a little bit more direct. I mean, the head. This is all stuff directed at the head coach themselves, not the hazing process of of a much larger team. Understood. Like like the football team, but yeah, this yeah, it's it's not a pretty time right now. And I would also for that entire department. I'd also just add, you know, one simple thing to that is that, um, you know. These players, you know, they're, they're, they they can be highly intimidated not to say anything, you know, based off of, you know, a scholarship situation or um, playing time and stuff like that. You know, I mean, so, I mean, there's a lot of ugly things that happen behind the scenes that a lot of people are just unaware of. Yeah, and I think that's part of – that's definitely going to make it an interesting that, – that adds a lot of complications to it, and I'm not even sure. One aspect I never even thought of, and perhaps Northwestern isn't the greatest example of it, only because it, it's not quite as premier in, in the NIL sphere, is, you know, how does all this this extra money that's now flowing out there in some of these big programs play into it? Do some players feel like, well, I, I can't, otherwise I might lose this? Or But again, the transfer portal has countered that and made it – I mean – Wetzel, Easier to move. Oh, I'm, I'm just no, no. Go ahead. Oh. No, I, I don't have this. Clear Dan, Dan, Dan Wetzel actually made a really good point talking about um, talking about uh, he made he basically said something to the extent of you know at what point. Uh, all right, hey, hang on. I'm gonna pull this up real quick. You guys go to the next one. Sorry. <laughs> well, I was gonna say with the money that's being poured into college athletics. I mean, even if you look at Northwestern, they're 
pouring a lot of money in. They're building that new stadium there in the north side of Chicago. Well, they're still planning it, and it's yeah, but it's a $800 million project that they're proposing, and they, they're moving forward on it, although I know, you know, and I'm not shocked they said this, but the faculty members that were requesting they release that um, report were saying they should halt it so they can get their house in order, but I, I that, mm, that, that, that one will be a bit of a stretch. I think that that project, if it stopped, will not be because of this report, only because there's so much... There's so much money at stake in all of this, particularly because they're still Big Ten. They're still in the two giant, one of the two mega conferences, and they're going to be pouring in money, which, of course, is going to be encouraging for um, pulling in a new, a new head coaching candidate. Hey, uh, I let you up here, uh, Mufaleta Matsu man. What's going up? What's going on? Hey, hey, everyone. Um, yeah, so I'm a UCF fan, and uh, I'm not sure if anybody saw, but. One of our uh, running backs, he, he just he just uh, actually left Isaiah Bowser. Uh, he was at Northwestern before he came to UCF for a few years. And uh, he tweeted, actually, he tweeted saying that it's all true, good riddance. And he quickly deleted it after, but all, UCF fans all kind of caught it. And a lot of us were wondering, you know, if he would say anything or if there's if he had any insight. So. You know, he was a leader on on UCS team, really respected, really well liked uh, guy. Um, you know, so I it, it really goes to show like how serious of a situation it was at North, Northwestern, and you have to wonder, you know, wow, to what extent is this like present in in like college football? You know, it, like here at UCF, we haven't heard anything about anyone complaining. You know, if we feel like someone like Isaiah was at UCF's program, we'd hear about there being problems with hazing here, but maybe it's a Big Ten thing, right? Like, I mean, you have Penn State, uh, you have Ohio State. Like, there's a lot of weird that seems to be happening in the Midwest, unfortunately. And so I'm just curious, like, maybe what people's thoughts are on, um, like, how pervasive this still is uh, in college football culture, because it seems, it seems like, you know, at least here at UCF, like, we're not not exactly squeaky clean. There's something that happened, uh, you know, with a player death here uh, years ago, but nothing like hazing ever. Um, and so I'm curious to, like, what extent that this exists, really, in the rest of, of college football. I find that to be an incredibly good question because I never really even thought about hazing geographically. But, you know, maybe living out in California, you know, I don't necessarily know if it's – I, I find that to be a fantastic question. So I'm, I'm down to hear an answer. <laughs> Great question. You know, I, I would, I would, I think that is a good question. I think I would hesitate to say it's a regional thing. I think that that might simplify things just too much. I think it has to do with, to an extent, the management of a program. I mean, what, how, what kind of, and because one of the things that the immediate thing that popped in the head is thinking, well, Pat Fitzgerald was there for a long time. And so over a certain period of, uh, you know, sometimes people get comfortable or maybe just assume the system's going to work as it's supposed to and things slip in that might be unexpected. And I hate making this comparison, but I mean, the one of the I mean, the one of the worst scandals of all time in college football happened with one of the longest tenured coaches in college football. Yeah, I mean, it, whether or not Joe Paul knew, you know, that was while he was there. And, you know, suddenly people are like, whoa, what's what's happening at Penn State? I still remember when all of that erupted and everyone's like, how did this, you know, he's been there forever. What on earth happened here? Um, and that's way worse than obviously hazing, but not to say that hazing isn't a bad thing. Um, but I, I wonder if to some extent 
the looser a program gets with, I think looser is the wrong word, just comfortable and kind of it's been around. And again, he's been the head coach since 2006. He'd been there for many years before he was, you know, darling of the program. So things sometimes can slip in. And, and I, I, I wonder, um, trying to think what other good, I mean, because when these instant, but again, sometimes it's just, it has to do with the, the, the attitude of the coach. We've, we've run into many coaches who've like been abusive or, um, not necessarily um, in in this sense, but I mean, I still remember. I mean, gosh, uh, Kansas is one of their best coach men. You know, they fired him because he was just a he was being a jerk to everybody. But not like um, physically. You know, it was just you know, he was just just basically calling them pussies, exactly. right? <laughs> yeah, he was being absolutely vile to his yeah his, yeah yeah, uh, yeah. His, his team, and then they let him go. So I think there's a lot of these issues where it just kind of it's. It, it's it's the way we teach each other. It's the way who we kind of who our mentors were. I want to say. I mean, some coaches were are not like that. And I mean, I think every strike coaches of every strike. I don't think there's. I would. Yeah. Again, I I don't think there's anything political about it. I think it's just sort of the personalities of the people involved and how serious they take some of those aspects of it because that's a problem. I mean, it, yes, it's a game, and I always say that when people maybe take it too seriously for silly reasons, like it's okay wins and losses in the end. I mean, you know, it, it's a lot, a lot more serious stuff happening in the world, but while it is a game, there's still things that, that shouldn't be tolerated mm-hmm. um, at any level, and I think that's that's what sort of happened at Northwestern, and that's what we've seen happen at other programs, especially with things like, or, I mean, even things that aren't necessarily hazing, things like over, like doing ridiculous things in training that put young men in danger when that shouldn't be, shouldn't be necessary. It will not get an extra win to, if you do some of these things like that lead to sometimes unnecessary player injuries or death on, on numerous, on several, more than a few occasions. Georgia players with sports cars. I mean, you had Scott Frost, Scott Frost. I mean, with the, the, just got it you know on his way out it kind of came out about the workouts that they're having doing in nebraska causing a lot of injuries and illnesses and you know there's there's definitely like uh the the weight of the past weighs on the present in many respects with like uh football in general but in particular college football which is like kind of a bizarre thing in the united states like most of our sports are so professionalized and not inorganic in a lot of respects uh and very different kind of culture so college football has a lot more of like a uh like a connection to to society writ large and like uh and, and it's not very insulated and so i think in a lot of ways it kind of reflects just the general culture of of the the country right like it's not like these it, it's not unique to football right like larry nasser was fucking you know women's uh he was in doing women's gymnastics at uh, at michigan state wrestling like like it happens everywhere um in college sports uh and you know it's like we're talking about young adults who are the most who are pretty vulnerable and exploitable due to their position and their status and their need for a scholarship I think uh, go back that just dropped on us. Oh wait, now you came back. Sorry no, about that. Like, sorry, for a second, sorry. Just... Yeah, but if you go back, no worries. If you go back in um, history, right? Like in the '90s, they tried to do the Violence Against Women Act, and one of the big fights against it, in which they were eventually successful in getting alleviated, was uh, addressing like specifically like sexual violence on college campuses, and uh, that you know that didn't get reformed, that didn't get addressed, and we never really have addressed it. 
Um, and I think a lot of these sports scandals are kind of reflective of like a general, more pervasive culture. It has nothing to do like with uh, a political camp. It's just a general social problem. Um, obviously, like politics will uh, play a play a role in it. But like, I, I think, you know, we're, we're consistently seeing like these these like hyper sexualized like acts uh, imposed upon these like young adults. It, it can't be a coincidence. Um, obviously, like male macho football culture doesn't help but it's college campuses in general have issues with this stuff yeah and you know those are things that that are just part of the the larger the larger um uh the larger issue with just that 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 need to be addressed i mean on a on a, a scale that is beyond i think even one college football team for sure you're right about that Hey, Daniel, did you have something else? Yeah, actually, I just found out what I was about to say about Wetzel because Wetzel made actually a really good point because he says that when um, the initial report came out through the president's office about the two-week suspension and everything like that, he says that something that, you know, and obviously a good journalist would, you know, be able to, you know, decipher something like this and like, let, you know, a simpleton like me know, where he said that Northwestern being a private school, they're not subject to the Freedom of Information Act like, you know, a, you know, any other public school would be. So they literally tried to sweep this under the rug. And all it took was their, you know, student newspaper to kind of, you know, basically just, oh, just yeah. kind of dig up some dirt and then end up basically getting Pat Fitzgerald fired. And then who knows, maybe this dude, you know, who they just hired last year from Oregon. Maybe this dude, you know, who's school president now because of the way he handled this, maybe his ass is on the, you know, it's on the line, it's, it's yeah. on the line too. So that's what I, I apologize. Yeah, and, for, and I apologize that, for forgetting that part, but I was like, I knew, I knew it was something very pertinent to the situation. Yeah, and it's interesting too. Yeah, absolutely. Northwestern is a private institution like USC or Duke or Stanford. any number of, of Stanford's. Who, they don't need to share information. Fandy. Um, but yeah, but of course, you know. It, one of I'm not going to claim that I made the tweet, although it was a good tweet by one of my uh, one of my esteemed uh, fellows over here. But you know, Northwestern has one of the best journalism. Oh, I saw I'm that tweet. I best. saw that tweet. <laughs> yeah, but I didn't write that one. I acknowledge there's great programs at Mizzou. There's great programs at Syracuse. All right, but they, I mean, of the schools that you're going to start pulling something that you know, an investigative team at one of the best journalism school by the way my my joke was i think wouldn't it be funny if the interim head coach they just decided to go with a successful program and name the journalism dean the new head coach of the football yeah team. the athletic He's guy the, he, he, said he wouldn't be the less the least athletic guy or something. <laughs> yeah he wouldn't be he wouldn't be he's actually in great shape i mean charlie weiss was the head football coach for god's sake you know they, there have been worse physical specimens but i mean you know hey you know there's or they could go the hometown guy who loves uh, loves, uh his uh Chicago area sports and just have Barack Obama come out of retirement or something. I don't know. But, um, but yeah, no, I, uh, I, I, jokes aside, I think it's been, uh, it's been, you should get Darren Rovell to be head coach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, let's see here. Uh, Quintron is him. What's going on? It's been a while. I know you've, you've been trying to join a couple of times and just, it's been too late, but what's on your mind? Um, I, I was just wondering, um, so, with the uh, Pat Fitzgerald news, do you think I like, Do you think other colleges will like same thing will happen? Like, will they? Will they have some? Well, I mean, you brought. I assume you're asking, will they have similar situations with hazing that comes to light? 
Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I mean, I think, as, and again, this is early on in the conversation. So we were, uh, I think this is going to give a lot of programs and uh, a real kick in the pants to start looking at what's going on, just in case. Because it's like when you sign, you know, when you click through a legal document or, you know, suddenly you get an email from some company you, you signed up for that says, we've updated our terms and conditions. And you're like, why? Well, like, I'm going to actually read through this email, whatever. I'm sure there was a reason for it. Usually it's because somebody somewhere had a lawsuit or a regulation that everyone suddenly decided, oh, gosh, we have to now update our terms and conditions. Well, <clears throat> I think it's analogous here because suddenly a lot of programs, I think maybe the compliance department or whatever departments within each, especially the larger athletic departments, are going to make sure they don't have a Northwestern problem. Because I think that is now... now because, I mean, if you think about it, if you're a journalist in some of these markets looking to make your name, wouldn't it be interesting if you found out there's something like that going on around your program in your area? So I think for a lot of schools, there's going to be a quick look around. It's not going to be done out in the open. They're not going to be making big public scenes about it, but they're going to make sure that there's nothing like this. I mean, again, there's some room for silliness I mean, like, again, as, as one of the other callers, and I apologize, I forgot who it was, uh, mentioned, you know, being on a baseball program and, okay, the freshmen have to carry all the equipment or something like that. I mean, there's room for silliness to some, to some degree. But what was going on at Northwestern crossed several lines. And that report that, I mean, even though we don't know the details of it, the fact that they were able to find, you know, nearly a dozen people to corroborate it when people were not obligated to talk, um, is, is, it says something. And so that was something that should have been stamped out there. So, um, whether or not we see other schools get in trouble for it, or actually other coaches get in trouble for it, I ideally, we hope not, uh, because they're all running their programs well, but there's always a chance that something might come out, but it could be that, that a lot of programs are going to just quietly end things that might have been crossing that line just so that they don't, run into the same just mess that Northwestern ran into. Um, but uh, yeah. So uh, did you, did you have, want to add something to that? Oh, I also, did y'all see where DJ Uyungle uh, got drafted by the Dodgers? I did, you know, and I, there's, there's a good tradition of that. I mean, I forgot what round it is because, you know, major league baseball has like a billion rounds. So, uh, but it was, it was one of the later rounds, but yeah, he, uh, he's, he's a multi-sport athlete and certainly, I mean, the, the classic in my mind growing up when I did was Bo Jackson, of course, because Bo knows everything. Bo knows sports. Um, but uh, whether or not that goes anywhere is, is up for grabs. But that, I think that was neat. That, that definitely crossed our, uh, crossed our attention here at RCFB for sure. What round did Kyler Murray go in? Oh, man, I don't know that one. He was a first-round pick. Oh, was he? I, I want to believe he was like sixth overall Yeah, to the A's. But he didn't sign? No, uh, which he bet on himself that he could make more money playing quarterback in the NFL. Not a bad guess. I mean, that certainly does work in that way. But, uh, but yeah. So let's see here. I want to go ahead and add Level Up Luke up here. He's been super patient. Um, and, again, I try to get to 
to folks who request. It just we've run into funny technical difficulties over the past several months that we noticed. Kind of uh, sometimes if we we don't let people up uh, and wait too long to, to let them on. Uh, my side, you'll talk and I can't hear you, and everyone else can hear you, and it turns really awkward. So, uh, but anyway, thanks for your patience. Uh, what's going on? Hey, um, I'm not sure if you were talking to me because it kind of cut off for, for a little block uh, in the middle there. But Oh, yeah, I'm so sorry. That's what <laughs> happens. I should have clarified. It's so funny because um, it, for people who are listening, if you if, – uh, and this is just any Twitter space. So it, yeah. there's a slight delay. I think it's when you join. So the moment you're let up, you actually jump to real time. Yep. And it's, it's kind of discombobulating because suddenly you're like, wait, what? You know, and, yeah. And, yeah, there's a block of time. You'll just sound like I missed like apparently 10 seconds. Yeah. So man, what's I, up? What's I, I, missed, I missed the introduction and I host Twitter spaces for Charlotte FC, uh, the soccer team. Uh, so uh, I, I've experienced plenty of technical difficulties myself. Thanks for the patience. Um, I was going to say, yeah, I think Kyler Murray was a first round pick. Um, I wanted to go back to the Northwestern conversation a little bit. I have not been keeping up with the, uh, the TikTok, the, the, you know, beat by beat on this, but it, it seems uh, to kind of echo with a situation that's very different, but in an overview way, kind of similar at Syracuse um, with our star running back who has, I'm, I'm not sure how much you guys have, have heard about this, but um our starting running back has been suspended for the entire football season for an off-campus altercation um, where a fellow student hit him twice in the face, starting a fight. He let the first one go, got hit again, and then hit the other student one time in defense, um, causing the other student to have uh, apparently a tooth knocked out. And uh, that ended the fight. He stopped after one hit. And then the university decided to suspend him for the entire season and the fall semester. Uh, The DA dropped all charges after investigation and said that there was no crime committed. So it's a private university um, (laughs) where the ethics board determined uh, one decision that, that completely contradicted the DA. Um, And it's the second instance that we've had in the last 10 years where that sort of thing happened. Another student was hit by a rock and ice ball in the face on campus by somebody who was allegedly pranking, but had been doing this to a number of people. He got hit in the face with it, uh, you know, confronted the student An altercation ensued. He hit the student one time and then was suspended. That ended up being overturned. Um, But now in this case with our star running back, he is suing the university in court, um, which goes beyond the ethics board, they're actually going to have like the rights of discovery in an actual court of law to see the university's uh, behind-the-scenes communications. It's very interesting when you're dealing with a public university. Uh, so that, that's kind of where I go back to the Northwestern thing. With a process like this, if Pat Fitzgerald decides to file a lawsuit for wrongful termination, um, they're going to go through the discovery process and see, you know, the Nazi details of, of who actually knew what, when, um, with a private university, I just want to float this out there. Like, what do you guys think about situations where there's legal conflicts, uh, as well as university conflicts, employment conflicts, and then social conflicts. Like it's a conflagration of a lot of different factors. Well, I'm not sure that's a, 
Well, if you're going to take it to court, it's going to become public, regardless of you're a public university or a private university. So that's exactly where the discovery comes from that you're mentioning. Um, well, I, and I think that that was that was his point that, that, you know, that's the only way for a public university, probably for a private university, that this stuff comes to light versus a public one. Um, right. It well, took a lawsuit. In- here to expand, comparing it to Michigan State, that's a public university. So a lot of that is in the public eye. But with a private university, I, I just I find it very interesting, this public uh, route that Syracuse, the, the running back, is going. And I can see Pat Fitzgerald going the same route. Um, whereas like Washington State when they fired their coach or Michigan State with the Larry Nassar thing, like those play out in the public eye much more. Um, I, don't, I don't know what you want to say, like much more uh, prominently. Yeah, no. And I, I think you brought up some great points here. And I, it's so funny as we were talking about the, the what's going on with, I believe it was LaQuint Allen is the running back. Uh, am I saying that right? I, I uh, But um Yep, LaQuint Allen. Yeah, yep. and I was just reading, and it's so funny. I, I saw the Daily Orange wrote about it because we're talking about great student journalism, right? So I was, I was well, reading their you know, article. Nor- Northwestern might be number two, but they're they're both top schools, I guess you could say. <laughs> but uh, but I was reading some of these uh, some of their own articles on this, and um, no, it's a real interesting situation because you're dealing with the there. This has come up before in, in college sports because universities have their own systems for discipline. And so the university might have just some zero policy, zero tolerance policy for violence. And and again, the situation you're describing, you described it accurately to what the facts that are out there. He, there was a fight. Um, he says he was in self-defense. The the uh, the, the prosecutor has declined to prosecute it. Um, and uh, but at the same time, the university has suspended him. And his response to suspension, and this one I, again to draw a kind of a, a you know this is a this is one where he could if he were to succeed or at least settle he could be potentially back on the team. So I, there is a reason to do that versus if Pat Fitzgerald he's suing for money and the opportunity to coach maybe elsewhere, but he's probably not going to be the head coach. There's of zero yet. chance. Yeah, just, like just that, as far as employment law, myriad of reasons that's not going to work. But here, yeah, absolutely, yeah. I get what what Allen is trying to do to get back on that team. And it's just an awful situation. I mean, if, if it is as he paints it, where he was punched and he returned after being hit twice, then yeah, definitely. Um, it, it's, it's a really painful situation to be in um, for any, any athlete, any person out there. But I think, yeah, it, and it, it's interesting too, as you pointed out, like it takes for, for again, private universities and, you know, not just Syracuse, not just, you know, USC, Notre Dame, you know, there's plenty of major universities that are in this. It, they all, I mean, it's like a company. You can take some of this stuff and, and not really release it to the public unless, you know, it, it comes out in a lawsuit. And that's why sometimes, you know, there are situations where people will file a lawsuit just to bring information to light. Um, so in this situation, though, it's going to, I mean, with Northwestern, certainly, uh, I think uh, the lawsuit process is going to bring up emails and we're going to find out who exactly who knew what when, which will certainly be of interest to some of the potential administrators. I don't know if it's necessarily going to implicate additional coaches going back to an earlier conversation we had. I don't think the rest of that staff may be in, I mean, they could be, but I'm, I'm not expecting them to be in any danger. I think the ones that are in the most concerned of what could come out in emails, and again, not knowing what's in them, it could be wrong, um, could be the, the Northwestern administrators deciding 
what to do with that report, the full report that was issued to the school, um, what information was truly in that report, and who who decided to make the call on like a two-week suspension versus just outright termination of uh, Pat Fitzgerald's contract. So I think that's going to be really interesting if that lawsuit moves forward and what would come up in the discovery process. Um, what's going on here with, with Alan, this is, a, this is, again, the classic thing where a university will have its own version of a disciplinary board, and they might have a policy that isn't necessarily what would f- fit into um, what we expect with the uh, uh, with the, um, the the normal uh, um, the normal process of justice. Uh, so I am not I don't know where this would go. Uh, I'm going to be honest. I, I don't know how um, the Syracuse case would move for that running back. But it is I I'm I feel silly. I did not know about this story, and I'm just reading about it. This is what this is a heck of a story it's, that's going on. Over it's there. pretty. It's pretty wild, and I have some experience firsthand, as well as with, you know, acquaintances who have been at every uh, stage and every level of that process in a university, not specifically Syracuse. Um, I, I was an RA in college. We, we had cases that went, you know, before the college, and, and the college can, you know, you sign a contract when you join a college, especially on an athletic scholarship, they can do whatever they want separate from a court of law. So if they deem that you've broken university rules, they can suspend you. They can take away compensation they've agreed to give you. They can expel you. Uh, anything in between. Um, they they kind of have their own little kingdom. And the people who run these processes are on the academic side of the university. And what we're seeing in a lot of situations, a lot of institutions the academic side of the university and the athletic side uh, have some sort of a, a bad of relationship at times. And the athletic side can get, um, you know, made an example of by the academic side when they say, well, you're taking so much of our student fees, you're taking so much of our resources away from academics. So we're going to make an example of your athletes who can do whatever they want. Uh, maybe, they feel like they're not crying as hard in classes or they're just showing up for classes where other students are crying so hard. So, you know, you stepped out of line, we're going to make an example of you. Um, unfortunately, maybe, you know, we're, we're coming to this thing with NIL. Are they student athletes? Is this an occupation? Um, New York just passed the NIL law, yes. which basically says the NCAA cannot enforce their NIL re- uh, regulations in New York State, which yeah. applies to Sy- Syracuse and the University of Buffalo. <laughs> well, yeah, that reminds I, you know, me like, of that. Don't, um... don't, don't, don't sleep on those Seawolves, all right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, the Seawolves. Uh, hey, we played, we played them a few years ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But uh, no, I, 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 but, well, I agree with you on, on the. It's so funny to go back to NIL because I, I opened this talk. Uh, I always kind of tossing out a few news items and the fact that, yeah. In the last two weeks since we last had a talk, um, both New York, actually the, the trio of New York, then Texas and Missouri signed their own respective NIL rules that loosened it up quite a bit in each of those states. But you're right. I mean, uh, if you brought up, by the way, a topic I just want to touch on really quick, the bigger national question with NIL, and I've, I've talked about this quite heavily in previous talks, 
is this rush to each state wants to kind of loosen their rules further to make it even easier for schools in those states to have a competitive advantage um, has started to, to it started to go a little bit out of control in the past four months, actually five months, um, in a way that I think missed a lot of college football fans because it it slowly started to build in, in January, February. There was an announcement that Florida finally uh, redid their NIL laws to match what was in other states because initially a lot of the laws that were passed were too, uh, as it turns out, too conservative for college sports fans. I'm not saying conservative in the political sense. They're just too careful um, in that in that regard. So, you know, school like Florida, Florida State, Miami, we're like, wait, we're not on them. We don't feel like we're competing as well with Alabama because they can do more in that state because they had revised their law the previous year. So Florida redid their law. And these laws are super popular, bipartisan. It's just a bunch of, you know, sports fans from every stripe getting together. And, you know, the, the politicians aren't stupid. They know these are easy baskets. I mean... You know, I, I money think, talks. It, it, you know, and it's it's so funny too because in Oklahoma they had a similar. Oklahoma thought they had the loosest law until Missouri came along, but Oklahoma's law was funny because it got sidetracked because the governor vetoed everything on his desk for a completely different reason. He's like, I'm not going to pass any law until you guys pass, you know, budget bill or something. So they they overrode his veto at a, with a vote of like 125 to three. So I mean, it tells you on that particular issue for the NIL bill. That's how much of an easy basket NIL rules are. I say that well, because this rush by all these states to loosen it up has actually started to get a little, maybe depending on who you're talking to, particularly um, those who analyze NIL and, and the relationship to what it means to an employment law question, they're starting to get a little too close. I mean, Texas is now potentially allowing their, um, because originally these NIL collectives were separate from the universities and they were they were trying to keep at a arm's length distance but you know you have texas a&m bringing the 12th man found fund i believe I'm, I'm mangling that name but one that is a little bit blurry on that line of what's a separate institution from the university it's separate but not entirely separate and they're now going to be able to get into the nil game so you have this risk where we're blurring a line where there's going to be some new version of one of these associations these nil associations that's going to cross the line that may cause a judge to say, you know what, if challenged, a judge might say, you know what, yeah, this is, in effect, you have an employee-employee relationship, and we're going to just see everything go off the rails. So, you um, know, to that, um, you know, I'm a TCU, uh, big TCU guy. We have the Flying T Club. That's our big NIL yeah. collective down here, and John Denton runs it, and John Denton's been – the color analyst for TCU football and basketball for years now until this last season, whenever he uh, retired to take over the head, the president of the flying T club. Yeah, absolutely. And, and these well, blurry lines. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Luke. Yeah. And, and two points here. So one, the New York law, I'm not sure how much you've read it. It specifically gives the, uh, institutions inability to direct NIL funds. So that that's a specific point of it. Not only does it like allude to it, it says that you are allowed to do it. So I don't know how the NCAA would argue in court that NCAA institution rules uh, can countermand uh, state law. I'm not sure how they could argue that successfully. 
Um, yeah, it, this this inability of the NCAA to enforce within each state is interesting. I think the response the NCAA finally just said was like, look, we know these laws are happening, but we expect you all to still follow. Uh, yeah, you know, the rules toothless. Yeah, wait, it's toothless. But I think what's well, the interesting thing, by the way, just kind of uh, I want to touch one last thing on NIL before I also uh, Bailey's up here, too, and I'll have her uh, uh, chime in. But the um, kind of on a larger level, too, the reason you see all these pushes for the federal legislation is because of this weird balkanized, you know, variety pulpourri of laws that are being put all over all these states. I think the reason the SEC is starting to kind of take the lead on this is because they're the, I mean, you could argue some of the wildest football fans, but it's at least some of the biggest amount of money being thrown around. But with 11 states involved, you know, there's so many different rules. And I think a lot of head coaches there are starting to get a little annoyed with the fact that they don't know what rules they're playing with. And I, and I get that. I mean, they they want to be on the same page. I mean, Nick Saban just wants to kick everyone's butt, but he wants to make sure he knows what the rules are before he kicks everyone's butt, particularly at recruiting. So <laughs> I think, you that's know, where we're- this kind of sounds like, um, you know, the marijuana laws, you know, nationally, it's illegal. But then you have state legislations that are passing it and this state, this state and this state, it's legal. And even in states where it's illegal, then you have cities and municipalities passing, well, we're not going to enforce these rules. That's kind of what it feels like with the NCAA and then these states passing each diff- their own different versions of NIL laws. Yeah, no, I, I mean, I, I don't think that's an entirely, uh, I think that's not, that's not an off-base comparison. I mean, it is. It's a good analogy. Wa- yeah. <laughs> Um, well, my my last thought, just to, to return this back, and then I, I will shut up and just listen. Um, this all started with NIL because the Supreme Court ruled nine to nothing, yeah. uh, unopposed against the NCAA. Do you know how bad you have to fuck up to get the Supreme Court to agree unanimously on anything? Uh, the NCAA is in the wrong legally uh, on a lot of issues, so they know that if it goes to trial, they will spend five to 10 years litigating something that they will eventually lose in a lot of cases. It's a bad oh, yeah, value that, proposition. No, that case definitely shifted how the, uh, that they're trying to deal with, with these issues. To be frank, as I always say, the NCAA, we always have to remember there's like a thousand institutions in it. So it's, it's as much a, um, a uh, animated version of the thoughts of everyone at D3, D2, and yeah, frankly, D a lot of D1, because most of them don't make, real profits at all most of them are still operating at a loss um outside of the top of echelon of, of fbs so yeah no it, it's it's interesting to watch them try to now figure out how to do things when they know that they're basically in a in a time period where courts are definitely not in their favor hey bailey what's going on hey guys uh sorry to be the northwestern alum to bring us back to northwestern um But I wanted to, you know, just kind of hear what people's thoughts are about kind of what the path forward is. You know, I think that we got a lot of new coaching staff that was coming on this year. There's not really anyone that kind of seems like they could step up. You know, our AD um, is also only a couple years old uh, in his position. And um, he's kind of been absent from the whole conversation. It's been interesting that the president who's been there for like a month has been the one to really be driving the conversation here and and not the AD. Um, So it just seems like this is really kind of out of 
Northwestern's wheelhouse in a lot of ways. I don't think anybody really was planning for this at all. Um, and so, you know, it just seems like there's a lot of, a lot of murkiness, a lot of gray area looking ahead, um, kind of what, what the path forward is for the team. If, if there even is one. Do you think it's a, you think the Northwestern AD had an idea and that's why he took vacation this last week? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I mean, Oh, I, that would certainly be an interesting reason too, but I mean, this has got to be an awkward situation for him if he was on vac- he or she was on vacation and they came back to all of this. But um, uh, yeah, so as far as the path forward, I think that's really one of the more interesting questions in all of this because how do you, you know, if you're Northwestern at this point, certainly, I mean, and and new coaches are a good thing, frankly, because I mean, having a first year defensive coordinator that's wonderful because he had nothing to do with any of this. He's just now on the staff. He's acting head coach, I believe, is what they put him in, David Braun. I mean, they got him from North Dakota State where he was their defensive coordinator. He's now there and is kind of like, okay, I just got handed the keys to a car that just blew up on the road in front of me. Um, But at the same time, I mean, you know, so for now he's the acting head coach. I don't know if they're going to find a final head coach before the season. We'll see where that goes. I think we're going to have an answer to whether or not they're going to have um, a new head coach for this upcoming season, we'll probably know soon, only because it would be a really strange time at Media Days if you don't have a confirmed new head coach and you still have an acting head coach. Um, I, I would like to think for Media Days at the end of this month, they may have some idea of what they're going to do for this season. And I think this season, for better or worse, is going to have to be almost like a wash in the sense that they're just going to be happy to feel the team, get something out there. They're going to run it. They got to keep the program going. They're going to do their, I'm not going to doubt that they're going to do their best to compete. They still have all the components that were there to, to do. Um, I mean, I'm sure the coaches are going to do their best to try and get some energy off of this to say like, like let's put all that stuff behind us. Let's be united. Let's go out there and, and compete. But it's not like Northwestern, at least in some of the, you know, I know, you know, most of the, the prognosticators don't exactly have them competing for the Big 12, probably for the Big 10 this season. So the expectations are, are fairly low to begin with. And there are plenty of winnable games on that uh, slate. It'll be really interesting to see them going to Duke because I have seen some of the, you know, the potential who could replace Fitzgerald. Mike Elko has been named a couple of times, too, because at this point, even though he's in the ACC, Joining the Big Ten or the Big uh, or the SEC means a, a, an enormous uh, pay increase, likely, uh, as well as the, the the amount of funding that come into those programs. So that would put him up yeah. there. But I mean, I think it's going to be interesting to see how they move forward. Also, finding his replacement. There's lots of names that have been put out there. I mean, I was looking at some of the Tommy Reese. Were, yeah, exactly. I've seen Reese from you know out of Notre Dame. I've seen you know Mike Kafka from the New York Giants offensive coordinator because. You know, he's a former Wildcat QB. They think that might be a thing. Matt Campbell, who never seems to – he always seems to come up, I would say, for everybody when he makes that move from Iowa State. Dave Clawson from Wake Forest has come up. Willie Fritz is kind of – I've seen him come up in a couple of lists, but he's on – I would be shocked if he left at this point, but maybe he would. I mean, he, but he just had literally the best season I think anyone had ever comprehended. Uh, too late, but um, you know Chris Creighton at Eastern Michigan's one that I thought was really interesting because he's been more successful there than anyone in the history of that program. 
I mean, it's insane that in nine seasons he took them to five bowl games. Eastern Michigan does not go to bowl games. I mean, at least the way I remember them. So, again, Chris Creighton would be an easy hire, although, again, I don't know. If it's, it's Northwestern is still – it's got their peculiarities to it. It's an academical, you know, academic elite school. Um, it's private school. It's a little bit quirkier than some of the others. Another one I like just to imagine would be Paul Christ. I mean – he wasn't doing a terrible job at Wisconsin. They just saw Luke Fickle and were able to grab him. I mean, I think that's what it boiled down to there. And I think so he would be an interesting one, too. He's a, he would be literally an off-the-shelf, ready-to-go coach and probably would love the opportunity to prove that he can still coach um, well in the uh, in the Big Ten. So I got a wild card. Go ahead. How about Bill O'Brien? Why don't you go back to New England, fix Mac Jones for a year, and then you've already been at Penn State. Why don't you go and try Northwestern, you know, and make six million a year? <laughs> the money's not there. It's it's not that that kind of a contract's not going to be. What do you mean? They're going to be splitting a billion dollars coming up here pretty soon. Possibly, yeah. Bill O'Brien has better prospects. Uh, hey, I want to jump I'm in just, and just real quickly. Like it, it is a wild card. It's a wild card. But I just want to go back to what Bailey said. It's um. She made actually a fantastic point, and it, um, in regards to uh, like you know about the athletics director, like where where the hell is this guy? They actually just have a brand new baseball scandal on their hands too. So I I can jump in there, and and my my perspective as somebody who knows nothing specifically about Northwestern is that they have Neither a president, an athletic director, probably a chancellor, a board of trustees. There's a lot of moving pieces. As soon as the hazing and possible sexual assault comes on the table, the athletic director is out of his depth on this. And the president can draw a line in the sand. If you can cancel the head coach's contract for cause, which is what it sounds like they're trying to do, yeah, um, and just go after a new head coach on this, no new administration, especially a new AD, a new president, they don't want an existing head football coach who potentially has more power and authority than they do in some respects um, under their thumb. So this is a great reason to press the restart button and get their person in the position. Um, going back to Bailey's original question, there's a lot of moving pieces with a lot of new um, front office people, like we'd call it in the pros or, you know, uh, C-suite people, as you'd call it in the business world. Um, they don't want somebody who could undermine them in that position. So this is a great excuse on one side and also a terrible incidence of what could be a, a human interest uh, black eye in the public, uh, you know, imagery. It, it could be bad for the university on a number of fronts. So it's out of the athletic director's depth is, is my personal opinion. I think no, that's that, a fair uh, opinion. That's a totally fair opinion. But can I, if I may, also add, it's hazing in the baseball team as well. That's what it was alleged. So I mean, so at some point, dude, where is the athletics director going to be? Like, you know, held culpable for the, you know, for he's in charge there. And you know, when we want to talk about like the differences between academia and athletics, well, that's where the athletics director needs to go and kind of like go and stand up for the people that he hires and the people that he's going to go and have to dictate and make sure that they're well, doing and, their jobs properly. So Bailey said it's a new athletic director. Regardless, he's still got a job to do. Well, it's that they're the, the new athletic director would rather have their own person in the position and they can come in as a reformer rather than someone cleaning up a mess. You know, they, they can say this happened on the previous watch. Watch my new person. I, I bring in clean this up and look at me. I'm, I'm the hero of the situation. 
that's totally fair. But, you know, he kind of walked into a job knowing that he didn't have any power over Pat Fitzgerald. Well, it's, it, and certainly I do agree with what Luke said about how they decided to uh, to address it at the university president level. But, yeah, at this point, it's going to be interesting to see how that part um, sorts itself out. I want to we have a couple more people who want to join in. and I want to love voices up here. Sean, what's going on? All right. Can you guys hear me? Sure can. All right. Uh, I'll just I'm a West Virginia fan. And uh, as we all know, the Dana or uh, I'm sorry, Neil Brown's in the hot seat. Uh West Virginia, the offense has potential to be explosive this year. The defense is kind of iffy. Um, they're projecting us to finish in some places, even last in the Big 12. But I'm just kind of curious to what your guys' opinion are on the season. Do you think we'll, with him being in the hot seat, do you think he'll make something happen or you think he's probably be his last year? I think it's we're going to learn real quick about West Virginia because opening at Penn State is going to be brutal. We're going to learn a lot about both programs, I think. I mean, it, it's one of the better, I think, it's, it doesn't get talked about enough. It's going to be an interesting, I think, early season game because Penn State is just going to be their year where they'll compete, you know, actually, you know, surpass Michigan and Ohio State and be one of those, you know, be one of the real national championship contender programs in the conference, especially after winning the Rose Bowl. So they've got a lot of momentum going into this season. New quarterback, but a lot of people think, you know, uh, Drew L.R. is going to be a better quarterback than than what they had going on there. But meanwhile, I, I know exactly what you're talking about. Neil Brown at West Virginia, I'm kind of almost a little surprised he's even still there. I thought I, I was thinking maybe last season wasn't going to be, I mean, you know, losing season was going to be the, the moment where they say like, all right, it's been four years. It's time to cut bait. It was a nice guy, but it's just not quite working out. Um, but I, you know, I don't think anyone's expecting them to have trouble with Duquesne. That'll be an easy one. But then Pittsburgh, that's going to be another one where it's going to be a real, I mean, not only is it a, a classic game between those two programs, but it's going to be another kind of barometer game because I've seen some people say Pitt has a chance to be a surprise team this year. I mean, I'm not saying a national championship squad, but, you know, a, a potential contender this year. So, again, how will West Virginia stack up against Pitt? If they lose to Penn State and Pitt, man, at that point, mm, uh, you know, it's going to be interesting to see what kind of I, – I don't know how long of this se- – how much of the season they give uh, Neil Brown to, to, to keep going. You know what I'm saying? Because I think – it's this is a this is a fifth year. He's under a lot of heat. This is this almost seems to be a setup for a, a potential midseason firing if things start to look bad um, in Morgantown. But I don't know. What are your thoughts? I'm I'm with you. Uh, I, I don't I don't really understand why he's still there. I mean, I like the guy. I want him to succeed. Um, like I said, I thought we had the pieces last year to be good. Uh, I think if we would have beat Pitt the first game, things could have changed and been different. But uh, I'm with you. I, I saw a lot of hype about uh, Penn State, too, um, even being able to possibly contend for a uh, national championship. Uh, I think it depends on the start of our season. With, like you said, with the conference, uh, non-conference games, I think if we can somehow just go in there and pull an upset, I think we'll have a – slight better season, but I definitely think Ren Baker coming in as a new AD, he wanted to give him a chance. So uh, I guess we'll just see how it goes. 
But then West Virginia, they opened up Big 12 play right after the uh, Pittsburgh game. They've got Tech coming to town. Then they have to go to Fort Worth to play TCU. And then they've got Oklahoma State coming into town. That's, (laughs) I don't see Neil Brown making the end of October. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a tough, well, either the team has turned the corner or we're going to, we'll see if he's there halfway through the season. I think that's, that's what we're looking at going forward. But um, let's see here. I want to let up one other folk here. Let's see. Maybe we'll get to one more after that. But uh, Steven, what's going on, man? Oh, we finally have the mic monster appear. Well, let's see here. When we get that sorted out, hopefully I'm not having a microphone issue on my side because sometimes I will not hear people and everyone else can hear them. I'm going to let up um, Alex. Uh, So, Alex, if you want to, you can unmute and love to hear from you. How's it going, guys? Good. So, I'm an Oklahoma fan. All right, I got a question. Oh, hey, hey, sorry, Dan. (laughs) Alex is talking. Go ahead, Alex. Oh, my bad, my bad, my bad. I'm an Oklahoma fan. Um, yeah, so I, uh, from an outsider's perspective, I, um, I'm kind of curious about everybody's, you know, um, opinion on, on Oklahoma and their move to the SEC. And then our recruiting has actually improved since Lincoln has left. Uh, um, Venables and Bob Stoops were able to, you know, construct and hold on to a top 10 class in, 2021 top five class in 2022 and then i think you know with projections and i i know recruiting can change um you know uh as it does for every team um but for 2023 we're looking at another top five class i was i just was wondering about you know like an outsider's perspective of about brent venables and what's going on there and their prep um, you know, into the SEC. I think the Big 12 is um, – I think this season is going to be a little different. Um, our schedule is not that hard. We're not playing Kansas State. We're not playing Baylor. We're not playing Tech. You know, so we've got a really easy path um, outside of Texas and TCU this season um, to make a push. And I don't think the four newcomers are going to really give us much of a challenge on the blue chip ratio. But, uh, yeah, I just want to get your guys' opinion on Oklahoma and see where, um, you know, the outsider's perspective is on Oklahoma. Yeah, no, I think – I just want to say, I think Oklahoma last season was an aberration. I think just because of how abrupt that change was, no one expected to see Lincoln leave. And uh, uh, and then bringing, a, you know, what was, I think, a, a, an incredible hire with Brent Venables, I think – it was weird last year to see that defense, considering that's his strength, and it was really just a, a horrendous defense um, for uh, that. I mean, some of the numbers when you saw the end of the season numbers were were terrible. But I think honestly, this is going to be a good chance to to see a real team of what he has uh, what he has in store for us because he knows that defense. And I think with some of the recruiting he's been doing, as you said, we should see a much stronger Oklahoma headed into this season. I, I, I think they have a chance to certainly contend. It, it, again, it's a strong – the Big 12 is stronger than I think I was uh, – this, this year is going to be wild. I mean, with obviously Texas is doing well. TCU's coming back and Kansas State is is stronger than – I mean, Kansas State's finally doing what we what thought people thought Kansas State could do when they, uh, when they poached the head coach of North Dakota State. But – I think Oklahoma, we're going to see a, a, a 
certainly a bounce back. I don't know how much of a bounce we're going to see. And certainly at this point, this season's kind of like a fun season. I think for everybody in the Big 12, can for especially for Oklahoma and Texas, can they steal the not steal? Can they win the last Big 12 championship in their final year and then you know go and win for? I think even what I think it was actually Venables I saw who had that quote that we want to win a Big 12 championship this year and an SEC championship next year. But um, all that said, I think you touched on an important part of why Oklahoma. And even to, and I have to acknowledge, and Texas will be a good fit next year and beyond. They recruit so well. I mean, that's ultimately what it comes down to in the SEC. Can you recruit well? Can you compete well um, in that area? Because the athletes that they have at all these schools are are you know you have to go at this point to the Big Ten at this to to really compete with them. I think team for team. I mean, that's part of the reason why Auburn you know got rid of their head coach. They he just wasn't on the recruiting on the same level. And Auburn was, was falling behind in a state where you have to compete with Nick Saban's unrelenting machine of recruiting. So I think what we're seeing from Venables and his staff is, is bodes well for Oklahoma moving into the SEC next season. And for this season, I think we'll see an improvement just because last season, there's so many things that just were, were odd about it. And I think Oklahoma for all intents and purposes should return the form at least closer to what we're going to see with Brett Venables and why they hired him there in the first place. Totally agree. I also want to say to Texas fans and everybody else, I definitely think that you guys are going to be Alabama in week two. I think it's going to happen. I, I think you guys are going to catch them off guard with new coordinators on both sides. Obviously they got the talent, the blue chip talent, but I, I definitely think Texas is going to catch Alabama early but then, you know, their schedule this year is so brutal. And so I don't know if they can last throughout the rest of that. But <laughs> oh, I see people want to have some thoughts on that. Hey, Ray, I'll let you go first. And then Luke, if you wanted to have a thought. So uh, quickly to Oklahoma, I think their season goes as Dylan Gabriel goes. He was so up and down last year that, you know, he's going to be the key in whether they improve or they're stagnant. And then I'm also, uh, people get their tinfoil hat on. How much do you think the Big 12 officials do not want Texas or OU to win the Big 12 on their way out and will make it (laughs) as rough as possible on them? (laughs) Well, I'm sure we'll hear that from the fan boards in some way, shape, or form. (laughs) But I don't know (laughs) I don't know if they're. I'm, I'm going to. I don't wear that tinfoil hat, although it's, it would be pretty funny. I have to say, though, the Big 12 officials have one, had one of the funniest videos I'd ever seen at a media day. This is years ago before the pandemic, where when they were changing the rules to, to, to so coaches could get penalized for coming off the field, it was this amazing video they created of all these incidents from broadcasts of coaches coming out of the field to yell at the, the referees. And I, at that point, they won me over only because it was one of the funniest videos. I've, I've, you, a, a room full of jaded journalists. It was like watching, you know, America's Funniest Home Videos. People were just laughing at every instant that kept coming up. Because, <laughs> But that said, you know, I, I, I'm sure there will be some of that paranoia going on there. You know, I wanted to just, uh, Stephen, I know we let you up again. Um, I just want to see, were you able to, to fix the mic situation on your end? I think so. Oh, there you go. Excellent. All right. So following up on uh, the Oklahoma question here, uh, we have a little bit of a late breaking story uh, and I'll drop a link here, I think, in the replies to the space. 
but uh, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, Lincoln Riley continues uh, to commit crimes against meat of all types uh, and has proudly posted uh, what appears to be overly seared and unevenly cooked tuna steaks. Uh... <laughs> Did he do this from his personal account? Because I know at RCFB, he, he blocked us. Yeah, he sure, because... he sure did. Yeah, and I, it was over the it was over the it was over the barbecue thing. It was over the brisket. It was over the brisket tweet. That's what was so funny. We weren't even that insulting over it. We we're just like what, like most of America. What the hell yeah. is this? But uh... <laughs> he has, he has continued to be insulting enough to meet on his own. Uh... Yeah, yeah. So um... <laughs> anyway, but yeah, no, that's great. By the way, Stephen, you're going to be heading out to Big Ten Media Day. I, hear. I will be. Yeah, so that's coming up here uh, two weeks now, I guess. That'll be interesting to see exactly how that uh, how that goes down and and who you're going to be who's going to be there to talk to from Northwestern and and all the coach speak that's going to come out there because if you ever been anyone who's ever covered media day it's lots of coach speak it's a lot of lots of players some of most of which you know they're not as I say they're not dumb they're just not recruited to be you know to do elocution or or give interviews they're recruited there because they're great athletes. So sometimes you just you, you hear athletes say the same five answers like we're coach makes us a family. We feel like a family. Oh, you know, we've been looking better in the locker room. I mean, you know, you can you can have bingo game bingo board set up to what you're going to hear at a at a media day. But well, we're glad to have you out there. That'll be that'll be fun. You know what, folks, um, typically it's so funny during the off season. We usually were doing these for like 30 minutes just because sometimes week to week there wasn't a whole lot of information. This is the first time we've gone past an hour in a long time. So we're going to go ahead and slowly wrap this up. It's We've been going on for about, oh gosh, an hour and 17 minutes. So this is our CFB talk of 146. My name's Bob Akairi. We do these every Tuesday night at 10 p.m. Eastern. I want to thank all of you who joined us to listen in and, and all of you who joined us to give us your thoughts. I love that. It was a really nice conversation from a lot of folks. And I know not everyone's still up on the stage, but I just wanted to thank all of you. So on behalf of all of us at RCFB, we hope you have a great rest of your week. Now I'm a hang up and listen.